So when God's voice was like thunder, do you remember where that was in the Bible? When God's voice sounded like thunder, there was lightning. Revelation 14.2, where else? Remember when Moses is on Mount Sinai, what's going on on top of that mountain? Lightning and thunders, and the thunder is like the voice of God. And uh, so this morning when you heard the thunder roaring, it's like a little picture, a little snippet, if you will, of what it's going to be like in heaven when God speaks. Remember the old E.F. Hutton commercials? Anybody remember that? When E.F. Hutton speaks, what? I think when God speaks, people are going to listen. And uh, his voice, like a thundering sound coming out of heaven. Uh, What would it have been like to be there when Jesus, I think sometimes when Jesus was baptized, we think that the audible voice of God was like, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I don't think so. I think that was a boom uh, of a noise there too. So uh, God's voice is never pictured very soft. It usually is pretty pretty profound when he speaks. Just think back to Moses at the burning bush. He got Moses' attention uh, with his voice. So, uh, and by the way, what is God's voice today? We have his, his written word of God. So uh, not saying God can't speak. I'm just saying he has given to us the source of information he wants. And since we're talking about the Bible and we're studying the Bible, we're learning how to study. Last week, we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 3, And uh, we looked at the purpose of the Bible being given to us. And many times we focus on the four aspects of it, right? For doctrine, for reproof, for instruction, and and that the man of God may be what? Thoroughly equipped for what? Everything that God has for your life. So the Bible is the equipping book for everything that we do in our life. It is the opportunity we have to see the mind of God and to unlock it. And last week, we said the ultimate purpose of the Bible, or for Bible study today, is personal change for the glory of God. Anytime we go to the Bible, we should go to the Bible looking for an opportunity for us to change, to be more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, We should be looking for opportunities to grow in our spiritual life, to be stretched, to be pushed in our spiritual life, out of our comfort zone. And I hope that as you dug into the Word of God this last week, whether it was in your personal devotions or maybe during Sunday school hour, we've been working through the Hope Book and we're looking at Passover today and studying that out. I hope that you see God is in business, in His Word, of communicating to His people that we need to be constantly changing for His glory. Today, though, we're going to dig into the plot of the Bible. Many times when... um, I've talked with people and you say, what is the Bible about? Well, it's just a book, a bunch of books written by different men over time about God. You'll get something, something to that degree of an, uh, of an answer from people who are in church. Now, if they're really spiritual, they'll say, well, the entire book is about who? Jesus Christ from cover to cover. And, um, Both of those answers are true. It is a bunch of books written by men who were inspired by God to write the very words. God breathed words, the inspiration of scripture, to write down the very words that God would have us learn 
so and know about him so that we can grow and change spiritually. God did use men to do that. However, there is one plot to the Bible. There's just one plot, one storyline, if you will. Now, underneath that, other, that, that main storyline, there's all kinds of different stories, right? We can learn about war. We can learn about health. We can learn about geography. We can learn about nationalities and language and creation and, and future events. And we can learn all these things, but all those things are in there for us to learn about one person, Jesus Christ. So as I thought about the different ways that we could handle this lesson and the different ways we could break down the Bible and the way that we could outline the Bible so that we can kind of think about what's going on, I, I have to kind of go back to coaching. So that's how I, I used to coach baseball a long time ago. I know I look like the epitome of fitness today, um, but... I coached baseball for several years. And when you coach baseball, there, there's this thing called the um, three-part approach to baseball. So in order to teach baseball to people, you got to break the game down. And it's kind of a slow game to start with. You know, if you ever watch baseball, not a lot of things happen fast. But then when things happen fast, they happen real fast. Like you can't catch the ball and then decide where the ball is going to go, Right. If you wait till then, they're going to make it to the base. So we've got to slow the game down sometimes to teach compartments of the game. And then we put the game all back together and run it real time. So my goal for today is to kind of break down the Bible into segments. And then we'll kind of look at the individual segments. Then we'll slam it all back together at the end. Okay. So it's the whole part, whole theory. So you look at the whole game of baseball and it looks complex, but it looks very simple. A guy throws a ball, a guy with a bat hits the ball, he runs around the bases and whoever makes the most bases or makes it home the most times around the bases wins the game, right? That's pretty simple. How many have ever played baseball and it's that simple? <laughs> it's hard to get to the base. It's hard to hit the ball. It's hard to get the pitcher to throw the right place, to throw the ball in the right place. So you got to begin to break the game down into compartments. So we take pitchers and we work on defining a strike zone. We take hitters and we tell them, if it's at your ankles, don't swing. That's called golf, right? <laughs> if the ball's above your head, it has a tail number. We call those airplanes. You can't hit them. How many times you swing, you won't hit them. But somewhere between your armpits and your knees, there's this thing called the strike zone. And if that pitcher finds that box, you're going to get called on it. And uh, if it's not in that box, don't swing. Just watch it go by. It's okay. Right? And to work with hitters and to get hitters to get the mindset. And then there's different speeds of pitches and different types of pitches. And then there's times to steal and not times to steal. This last uh, week, I was watching my daughter play softball. And they had bases loaded with one out. And an infield pop fly happens. What do they call that? The infield fly roll. Guess what none of those kids knew? And it became very apparent as they all held base and didn't run. And the guy from home that just hit the pot, or the girl from home that hit the pot fly in softball is running to first. And when two people occupy the same base, what happens? One of them's out. Guess who got called out? The hitter. And they're like, what happened? Well, you, the base is occupied. You couldn't move. It's called the infield fly roll. They never heard of that. They didn't break the game down to define that. Now, guess what every one of those girls know? The infield fly roll. 
So to prevent that from happening in real-time games, coaches will run through scenarios and they'll give you dynamics of different positions. You'll take infield practice, you'll take outfield practice, you do hitting practice, you do pitching practice, you do catching, and you break it down. But then at the end of the game, we gotta bring it all, at the end of the day, we gotta bring it all back together for the game, don't we? And during the game, do we have the chance to say, hey, time out, we need to talk about this? No, we gotta know where the ball's gonna go. We gotta know how to communicate and we practice at real speed, full time, to be able to simulate what it's gonna be like in a game. Now, when you get into higher, uh, higher echelons of teams, they'll watch video, they'll actually simulate what other teams do, they'll, they'll emulate what other teams do. So this morning, I want us to do the whole part, whole method, okay? We're gonna look at the whole Bible, then we're gonna take parts of it and look at it real close, and then we're gonna look at the whole thing again. So we're gonna kind of zoom in in the middle and then we're gonna pull back out. So you say, we're gonna do all that quick, we are. Sounds way more complicated than it, than it is. So to discover the plot of the Bible with the outcome of better understanding the story, we have to understand that there is an aspect of personal change that God wants in our lives. So the Bible is written for us to know some things, right? Number one, to know that you have eternal life. Does the Bible teach that? Yeah, John, John writes, these things are written that you might know that you have what? So it is knowable. It's not something off in the distance that we can't understand. Now this morning, we could all think of some of our favorite Bible studies. One of my favorite Bible studies to do or Bible stories to do is the prodigal son because I can relate to that story because I've been both brothers. Have you? There's been times in my life where I kind of was self-centered and self uh, focused and, and, and taking care of myself and wanting the things that I want. But then there's other times where, you know, it's easy to kind of get in a self-righteous position, right? Well, God, I never left the family. I never wasted the, the things. And why are you slaying the fatted calf for that person? And, and so I don't know if I'm bipolar. I just like the story, one of the two. But in my lifetime, I've been on both sides of that story. I can relate to that story. And every time I know that my spiritual father has been waiting for me to come back to him. And when I did, he accepted me with wide open arms. I love that story, but that story might not mean anything to you. There's other stories that, that are more uh, story-esque of your life or picture your life or aspects of it. So this morning, I, I don't, I don't want to focus in on one story, one Bible story. But what I do want to do is focus on one story of the Bible. So we're going to kind of look at that whole method. What if the Bible was really about one story unfolding down through time? All the books of the Bible, all the stories in the Bible are all pointing to a storyline that's already there that God's wanting to reveal to mankind. He's trying to reveal himself to us. Author A.T. Pearson went through the Bible and found 12 symbols or 12 words that symbolize what the Bible is for. He used imagery like it's bread, it's, it's like fire, it's like gold, it's like a hammer, it's like honey. And, and we can really dig in and look at the nuances of it, but I, I want to stay back a little bit for now. I want to stand back and I want us to just look at and think through the timeline of the Bible, okay? If we were to break the Bible down into brackets, now those of you who have done Faith Bible Institute or FBI, uh, you're going to know a different chronological history that I'm going to present today. And I'm doing this on purpose because I know that you know, starting at creation, you can go through the 10 steps, right? Uh, I know that you guys know that. But I'm going to give to you 
similar outline to the Bible, but I'm going to do a little bit of variance because it's going to help us in the long run. So let me quickly fly through. I'm going to throw these on the screen. If you want to know what they are, go online or take a picture with your phone real quick as the screen's up there and you can get these notes if you want. Uh, but you can go back online and watch a sermon on our live stream or our Facebook page or on YouTube and uh, catch these slides there. But uh, I'm just going to take the main themes of the Bible and break it down and give you the subcategories of what happened under each one. And then we're going to come back and look at a couple verses that will tie it all back together. So the whole Bible is telling us about what? Jesus Christ. Right? And it's given to us, intended for us to change. So all the stories that we're going to see under the different categories now, as we look at the parts now, are going to help us see that macro picture. So we're going to start with creation. We have the creation of man and woman. We have the creation of land. We got a seed. We got the blessing. We got moral instruction. And we have sin all introduced in the creation story, right? Where did man come from? How did he fall? Why are we messed up like we are today? How did the earth and, and everything, all the planets and stuff get there? The Bible is very clear that there is a thing called creation. But then there are the forefathers, right? We run into Abraham and Sarah. We run into the Abrahamic covenant. We run into a promised land. We run into seeds and blessings and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and the migration to Egypt and how the Israelites ended up in Egypt. And then there arose a generation who knew not Joseph, right? And now we end up in what we call the travel period of the Bible. And for 400 years, the Israelites grow from a small group of people to over two to three million people. Moses, whose whole life is broken down into three 40-year periods. Then we have the culmination in a confrontation with Pharaoh over Passover. We studied that story this morning in Sunday school. Then the law given to Mount Sinai, I referred to that at the beginning of the message here, the thundering sound and the lightnings that are up on the hill, the sacrificial system that is introduced for the covering of sins, the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God with man in a temporary tent that roamed around, that moved around. And then we have the death of Moses. And then the travel period turns into the promised land, right? Joshua comes on the scene. Moses can't go in because of his rebellion, his lack of faith. And now God uses Joshua and they go in and they begin to conquer the promised land. And that turns into a good deal until some judges are needed, right? The judges come on the scene and seven times the nation of Israel turns away from God. Seven times. They're oppressed. They call out to God. God gives them, it listens to their repentance. He gives them restoration. And then we know Samuel's the last judge. And then on the scene comes our first king, right? King Saul. The king of who? The people. Who is God's king? David. So we got Saul is introduced as the king for the people. But David is eventually assumes God's kingdom and uh, then we have Solomon that builds the temple in there. You got the Davidic promise that's given. And then we run into a whole bunch of problems for Israel, right? As soon as Solomon moves off the scene, the kingdom scatters. You get invasions and wars. And there's war in the kingdom. And we get a, a division that occurs, right? We get a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, they have 10 out of the 12 tribes are involved in this group. All the kings they have are bad. And finally, God takes the Assyrians and sacks them in 722, takes them into captivity. And uh, out of this come the Samaritans, all right? 
uh, Jesus interacts with them later on, doesn't he? Out of the southern kingdom, you have two of the 12 tribes, uh, Judah and Benjamin. And, and uh, there's a one to three ratio of good kings and bad kings. And uh, the Babylonians come along later on in 586, and they take captive the, Asia, the, the southern kingdom. Now we enter into the, what we call the Assyrian and the Babylonian exile, right? Nation of Israel doesn't exist right now. It's in complete captivity. And during the Babylonian exile, specifically the southern kingdom, the best and brightest men like Daniel, Ezekiel, are taken captive. And after a 70-year period of captivity, men like Ezra, Nehemiah, begin rebuilding and using the resources of these four nations to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and re-inhabit the land. And during this time, the book of my favorite one, the Italian prophet, Malachi. You guys would know him as Malachi, but he writes his final book in the Old Testament. And that brings on the next generation. I'm Italian. I have to do it. Silence. 400 years of nothing. 400 years. And we have the rise of the religious zealots, the Pharisees. And now the sacrificial system is used to ram a, a group of rules and regulations down the throat of the, of the Israelites. And they're, doing, they're fulfilling the law to the letter, but the spirit of the law begins to fall away. And it is out of this climate, out of this culture, that arises the perfect lamb, right? Because now we run into Jesus. Jesus comes and the fulfillment of Christ. And all that could not be accomplished in the previous years are now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He becomes what the first Adam should have been. Jesus becomes as the second Adam. He becomes that perfect person. He's a prophet. He's a judge. He's a king. He has a kingdom. He has a temple. He is a priest. He has a sacrifice that is once for all atonement for all. No longer is it covering, but now there's atonement that takes place. And from that atonement, law is eradicated. And now all of creation can be back right with its father again, with its creator again. That segues then into the church, right? Jesus is resurrected. And in Acts chapter two, you have the church founded. The Holy Spirit of God is now indwelling believers. You have men like Paul and Peter that come on the scene. You got massive church expansion all through the Middle East into the uttermost parts of the earth. And then we get the description of what the future of the church is and what the end of time is going to be like. Did you get all that? That's the Bible. That's the story. But that's not the story. That is the subset stories, the individual parts. That's pitching practice. That's hitting practice. That's fielding practice. That's, that's all the different facets of baseball. But now we got to put it back together and put it into game time, right? So we know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is what? Profitable. That means there's something for us in all of scripture. Regardless of where we are in scripture, there's something for us to learn, something for us to grab a hold of. Now take your Bibles and go with me to John chapter one. Go with me to John chapter one. And I want you to be at verse 14 specifically. Now, as we go back to the whole, right? The whole part and whole. The whole at the beginning is the whole Bible is about Jesus Christ and how he wants us to change, to be conformed to what he wants. 
The parts are all the individual history. Creation, kings, exile, 400 years of silence, Jesus Christ, church. All those things are the parts. But now we're going to look at the whole again and put it back together. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory is of the only son from the father, full of what? What are people looking for today? Truth. They want to know what's real in a world that is sometimes very not real, simulated. I was going to put on the screen this morning a, a picture of a tour, and I, I, I didn't get it uploaded. I was having trouble getting it uploaded. But it's, it's a scroll of the Torah. And uh, what is the Torah? Anybody know off the top of your head? What does Torah mean? Five books, right? And the Torah consists of what? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? Now, if uh, you were a Jew today, you would not just care about the fact that it's the first five books, but you would actually know that in that Greek, or a Greek, in that Hebrew manuscript, in that scroll, that there would be 304,805 letters that should be in that scroll. And there were people called safers, who we call them today what? Scribes. And safers were the ones who produced the Torah. They would produce the scroll that the Jews would use to know what the Word of God says. And the Torah, or the scribe's job in writing the Torah, it was meticulous, and there was religious acts of worship that went along with preservation of Scripture. It was all done by hand. It was all kosher as well. And kosher is simply a fancy way of saying the components and activities that go into making a scroll were all done according to Jewish law. Okay? They were all done according to Jewish law. In other words, the animals that would be used, the skins, would be kosher. The thread that would sew it together would be kosher. The ink that was used would be kosher. The writing utensils would be kosher. And all this was a very long involved process which God was trying to teach his people about him. We don't approach God however we feel like approaching him. God has methods and reasons why he wants his people to come to him as they do. God's people revered not only the process and the elements, but they also revered the spoken word of God. Remember back in John or Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3, notice what it says here in the Bible. It says, what are the first three words? What did that sound like? <laughs> what did it sound like when God spoke? Enix helio, out of nothing. God speaks and something becomes. His word is powerful. His word can create. His word can destroy. Where do we see God destroy something, or really Jesus, destroy something simply by speaking? The tree. The tree, that, the fig tree, right? Should have been producing figs. Didn't produce any figs, so what's he do? He curses the tree. They walk by a day later, and what's the tree look like? Done. It's dead. His word is able to change things. And God said, let there be light. And the Bible says what? And there was light. 
I love in that passage of scripture, and he made the stars also. Go out tonight and just go, yeah, God made the stars also. Think about that. We're trying just to get back to the moon, let alone a star. And God made the stars also, the Bible says. Like, no effort there. It has been God's spoken word through time, down through the ages, that God spoke directly and indirectly to his creation. God has been communicating. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 tells us this, right? It says, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the what? And the word was handed down generation to generation simply by spoken word. And then eventually man got smart and began to write down the words of God. But before he did that, God sent another picture of his word that we find in John chapter 1. And if you're in John chapter 1, still at verse 14, jump back up to John 1 and verse 1. Look at what it says. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You know, I always like the Greek on that, right? NRK, hathion, halagon, halagon, hathion, right? The word and God are the same, and God and the word are the same. So in Greek, you can flip those phrases either way, and you got the same statement. Whether the logon and theon are the same, the word and God, or God and the word, you can use them interchangeably, is what Greek tells us. So in then verse 2 says this, he was in the beginning with God. He was there. He, in other words, was Jesus created? No. He's always existed. He's eternal, just as God is eternal. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was stayed together. So what did Jesus make? All creation. Everything that exists today is a creation of Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's not what the text says. The text says God did it. Right? Well, that's all right. I'll give you that argument for now. How about verse 4? In him was life, and life was a light of men. Who gives life? And God breathed into the nostrils the breath of... And man became a living soul, right? Uh, verse 5. The light shines in darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. Now, there are some people that have used this passage of Scripture to try to state the fact that God and Jesus are two distinct, different people, two distinct beings... Two different gods, not the same God. Take you back to, remember the verse we read first? John 1.14, what did it say? And the word became, so if the word of God created, and God said, let there be light, God said it, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen the glory of God, the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. And the word, according to John 1, 1, is what created the world. Then who created the world? Jesus Christ. Who's the main character of the Bible? Jesus Christ. Who gave his life as a ransom for many? Jesus Christ. Who gave eternal life to all men because he's an eternal being equal to God and yet the creator of everything that is? Jesus Christ. Who can speak and make all things new? Jesus Christ. Who's the same yesterday, today, and forever? Jesus Christ. You see, his word, the scripture, was spoken, written down, but it's also still living today. We have the living word of God still today. If Jesus Christ came back today and he said, come up hither, 
whose voice would you hear? The voice of Jesus. Because he's a living Savior. That's what makes Jesus different than all other Saviors that have ever been defined by man as a Savior. Is the fact that they may all save people, but in the end they couldn't save themselves. Jesus Christ not only saves others, but he saved himself from what? The penalty of sin, the penalty of death, and the penalty of hell. And instead of raining death upon all men, what do all men have today? Eternal life. John 3.17 says, God didn't come into the world to condemn the world. The world was condemned already. He came that they might have everlasting life. Romans 8.1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus Christ paid, paid the price for us. Now, I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to go over to the book of Jude with me. All right, we're going to kind of go over here, because I want to prove what we just looked at today, according to the Word of God. Little tiny book at the back of your Bible, I challenged you last week uh, to read through the book of Jude every day for 30 days, for the next 30 days. All right, those of you who have done it, you're about seven days in, maybe six days if you didn't start till, till Monday instead of Sunday last week. But I want you to see if you see the theme of who's in control in the book of Jude, right? So it says, Jude, a servant of who? Jesus Christ. He's identifying with who? Jesus Christ. And the brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God, the father and kept for who? Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, Love be multiplied to you. Let me ask you a question. Where's the source of mercy? Where's the source of peace? Where's the source of love? Who's the Prince of Peace? Who's the Everlasting? Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, who's salvation given through? Jesus Christ. He wants to write to them about their salvation, but they found it necessary to write appealing to them for you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny the only master and who? Lord Jesus Christ. Now I haven't gone very far in this book, but who's the main theme of the book? Do you see it? This is one of the smallest books. This is one of the, the, the teeniest, tiniest books in the New Testament. There's only one other that's got one chapter. Who is it? Philemon. Well, John and Philemon, right? There's a couple of them, technically. But, but here we see a very short book identifying. Now, what if we went to Ephesians? What would we find? What if we went to Galatians? What would we find? What if we went to Romans? What would we find? What if we went to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians? What would we find? Jesus Christ is the center of, of the Bible. You say, well, Pastor Joe, that works in the New Testament because Christ already came. What about the Old Testament? Well, who was it that walked around with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? Jesus Christ. Who was it that um, had a wrestling match with a guy named Jacob? Jesus Christ. We see Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. We see him in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we call it a theophany. In the New Testament, we call it the revealed 
Savior Jesus Christ. So uh, over the next weeks, we're going to take the book of Jude and we're going to begin to look at the book of Jude and we're going to show you how to study the book of Jude. But I want us to understand the big picture. God's word, his scripture was spoken, it was written down, but it's also alive today. And the best part is his spirit and his word can live inside of you. His Holy Spirit and his word can live inside of you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I want you to see Jesus Christ is the central theme of the Bible. If someone were to say, what is this book about? You'd answer what? Jesus Christ. Well, what about creation? What about this? What about that? Yeah, it all points to one person. Who? Jesus Christ. And who's the same yesterday and today and forever and who never changes? Jesus Christ. So our hope is not just in the story of, of people. It's not a book that was just handed down generation after generation. This is the inspired and errant word of God. When challenged by man, it always trumps man. It is God's word. And when God speaks, you know what? We should listen. And he has revealed his word to us in this book. This book, the Bible, points to Jesus Christ. It's his word. It's his holy Bible. He's a central character. He is the whole, the part, and the whole. You say, how is he the part? When you went through all that, how do we see Jesus Christ in the Old Testament? Well, let me ask you a question. Who chose Israel as his people? Jesus Christ. Who gave them the promise that they would be a great nation? Who made them great? Who gave them an everlasting kingdom? Who made them the epicenter of everything that goes on even in our world today? Jesus Christ. And who's going to rule and reign out of a little tiny country called Israel for a thousand years? Jesus Christ. So I want us to understand the simplicity of God's word. It's, we, make it, we want to make it so complex, right? It's like salvation. We always want to make things harder than it is because, well, that's just too simple. But Jesus said what? Suffer the little children to come unto me, for this is the kingdom of heaven. It's simple what God wants us to know. You know what's hard? Trusting it. What's hard is putting our faith in it, living it, actually doing what the Bible says. That's the hard part. And that's why we, we do sermons. That's why we do Bible studies. So that not that we can acquire just a bunch of knowledge about God, but how do we actually change and when we discover that the story of the Bible is all about Jesus Christ, now all of a sudden the purpose for my life and why the Bible was given go together, don't they? Because if I've been bought with a price, who am I servant to? The master. Well, who bought me? Who bought you? Jesus Christ. And if you're bought by a master, don't you kind of want to know what the master wants? Shouldn't we really know what the master's desire is? Shouldn't we want to know and, and, and emulate the guy who paid the price for our freedom? I mean, this holiday weekend is all about what? Remembering the troops, the soldiers, the leaders that got us to where we are in our country today. A free nation, one nation under God, right? Indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We're to remember that, but when we forget that, what happens? We begin to give up liberty. We begin to lose individuality. We begin to be divided. 
And we lose liberty. We, we, we don't have the freedoms we had. And America is suffering from a cultural shift. There's a desire for us to move away from the Judeo-Christian values our country was founded on. Doing good for others. I mean, just think of our documents that are written. We hold these truths to be what? What does self-evident mean? These are universal truths. That all men are created what? Who created them? Jesus Christ. Who makes us all equal? Who makes us all one? Jesus Christ. We have one God, one spirit, one... I mean, we can go right through that passage in Ephesians there, can't we? We live in a time period in which our country, the people of our country, are beginning to forget where they came from. We're forgetting what the reason for our nation existing was in the first place. It was to be a lighthouse for freedom of religion and freedom to worship God, the creator God, freely, without a king telling you what church to go to, without a group of people telling you you can or can't worship. We were given freedom as self-evident truth, universal truth for all time. In other words, man cannot grant you the things that God does. These truths are self-evident. They're given by God. And they're true for all time. And when we forget where we came from, we begin to do exactly what Christians do when we forget why we should read our Bibles. We begin to lose focus of who our king is. We begin to lose focus for why the church exists. We begin to become worldly and we begin to walk away from the king who we should be following, the king of kings. And instead, we begin to substitute our own thoughts and our own way of doing things rather than God's way. Imagine a high priest if he were to just stroll into the Holy of Holies however he wanted. What would happen to that high priest? He would have been struck down. So you know what the Jews did to make sure they could get him out? Tied a rope around his ankle. How would you like to be the priest going in on that day? Really, guys, we don't need the rope. I'm telling you, I'm good. Well, just in case. Are you sure you're good? Are you really good? Uh, just in case. We don't want to take any chances. I'm glad we don't have to do that today. You know what? The Bible tells us that we have a high priest who has been touched with everything that you could ever be touched with. He suffered in every way that you can suffer today. He went through mental anguish, just like you and I go through mental anguish every day. He had needs, just like you have needs. He prayed, just like you pray. He walked, just as we walk. He's done it for us. And on this Memorial Day, yes, we remember those who have fallen. Yes, we remember those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. But I challenge the Christians today, Memorial Day is also a great day to remember who our Creator is, why we have a church, and why we have His Word. And there are saints who went before and they planted churches. And they, they did things so that we can have what we have today. And we need to remember them as well as spiritual soldiers who have fought the good fight of faith. They laid hold to eternal life. And today, you know what John Schroeder's getting, right? Receiving his crown of righteousness, which is waiting for him. So we need to do the work of the ministry now. It's our turn to carry the baton. It's our turn to build the church. And if we're waiting for the world to do it, guess what? Not going to happen. That's why Jesus said this. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by what? Changing 
of your mind. The renewing of your mind. That you may prove that which is what? Good and perfect. And not just perfect, but what? The perfect will of God. We don't live for our own will. We live for him. We live according to his word. We live according to his scriptures. And we do the work that he's called us to do. And you know what? Let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and check this out. Let's say it together in every translation that you got out there, okay? I always force you into the ESV because it's a good standard. But Genesis chapter 3, ver- or yeah, Genesis, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Genesis 3 is a great book too, by the way. I'm just throwing that out there. 2 Timothy 3, start at verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What does that mean to you today? What message is in there for you today? All the translations that were just read all said the same thing. They all said the exact same thing. Word order is a little different. Maybe a substitute of a modern word. But they all said the same thing. All scripture was given to us by God. He spoke it. It's his word. He wants you to change He wants it to work in four ways in your life. But really in the end, the word of God, verse 17 says that you may be complete. You got everything you need to do what? Equip for every good work. Who defines what is good? God does. By the way, there's a, remember when Jesus was called good teacher? Do you remember what Jesus said? Why do you call me good? There's only one good and he's who? What was Jesus saying? I'm God. I'm the creator. I am the one who you're calling good. And you're worshiping me by recognizing who I am. So the word of God was given to us to reveal who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father except through him. You know what the book of Jude's going to tell you this week if you read through it? There are people who are crept into church, into Christianity today, who are not believers. Some of them even hold the position of pastor. Some of them are teachers. Some of them are in it for money. Some of them are in it for fame. Some of them are in it just to deceive people, just to lead them astray. And we need to understand that Jesus Christ gave one message of salvation. He gave one word and one scripture. And as you read down through there about verse 15, you're going to find that a shift takes place and God transitions from telling you who to be careful about and what the characteristics are of the evil in the world And then he's going to transition into seven commands for you to actually do. Seven things he wants you to change in. And if you'll read down through the book of Jude, I think you'll see those. You'll find triple triples at the beginning, okay? I'm going to give you the the whole part whole of Jude. So the whole thing is written about why Jesus Christ's salvation is important, but false teachers are perverting it. So you need to keep your eyes focused on Jesus. But if you begin to focus on the world, guess what you're going to find? You're going to find a lot of problems in the church. You're going to find a lot of people doing things in the name of Jesus that Jesus never said to do. 
There's going to be signs and wonders and, 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 and people taking advantage of people. And in light of the recent things that are happening in the world today, you're going to see all the things that Jude says are, are in the world right now. We're there. But then he's going to zoom back to the hole again and say, but don't look at what the world's doing. Don't get your hope from the world, because if you do, this is what you're going to find. But instead, if you put your eyes on Jesus Christ, there's seven things that you can do for me today. Seven things you can do right now for me. All that's in the book of Jude, I promise. It's all there. And over the next several weeks, we're going to take it and we're going to begin to break it down. And we'll work through the book of Jude and we'll give you a, a workable outline. We'll do the whole part and whole and we'll dig into it and we'll show you how Jude actually will hit almost every single timeline that you saw today. Might not get the whole northern southern kingdom exactly, but you're going to see the prophets. You're going to see creation. You're going to see the fall. You're going to see all the things that I listed for you today are in the book of Jude, I promise. They're all there, and they're all there, and they're in, in picture. They're not in the hole. You've got to study it out, but they're there. So the next several weeks, I'm going to show you, if I were to prepare a series out of the book of Jude, what I would do to go about doing it, and what the Word of God actually says to say about Jesus Christ in that little tiny book of Jude. So I challenge you again, if you haven't read the book of Jude, read it every day for the next, well, now you got what, 20, 21 days to read it. Read it for the next 21 days. And as you read through it, every time you're going to find more and more that the book of Jude is going to unlock for you. This is what pastors do. We read scripture over and over again. We begin to look at the elements within the passage and we begin to plug it into the timeline and start figuring out what is the central theme? How, what is the plot? How, how, what are the lessons to be learned and how can we apply this to today? So that's where we're going to be going the next several weeks. So I'm excited about it. I hope you are too. Um, this is what I get to do every week for the last 21 years. This is what I've gotten to do. So I want to share a little bit of that on how we do that with you and uh, show you how you too can unlock the truths of God's word. It's not just for pastors. It's not just for priests. It's not something that is impossible for you to do. And we may even teach you how to do a word study really easy. Uh, how many of you have a strong concordance, or at least you have a phone and a Bible app that has it, right? I'll show you how you can do a Greek or Hebrew word study and find out what does propitiation mean? That's a, that's a fancy word today, right? How do you find out what that really means when it comes to Scripture? So, the Bible unlocked. The plot. The plot is who? Jesus Christ. He's the creator. He's the savior. He's the prophet. He's the priest. And one day, and even today, he's already king. And uh, one day he's going to reign and rule over us for all of eternity. So let's, uh, let's keep studying. Let's read through the book of Jude this next week. And Lord willing, uh, we'll be able to put all the pieces together for you as we go along. So let's close with a word of prayer. And uh, then we're going to sing a couple more songs. To, before we do sing, I do want to invite you all to my house tonight. Every fifth Sunday, we do a snap. We call it Sunday Night at Pastors. And uh, if you need my address, I can get it to you. But we live up by Ferry Lake, uh, just short of Ferry Lake, and uh, off County Road 2 or 17, depending on which way you're coming, I guess. Um, but you're invited tonight, 5 o'clock at my house. We ask you to bring a game and finger food. What? Yeah, it's always 5. Read your bulletin. Um, <laughs> you typed it. So, um, five o'clock, yeah, at our house, so snap tonight, so let's close in a word of prayer, and I'll need some counseling later on.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that it is a clear picture of you revealing your son to us. Father, you promised the gift of God would be eternal life by means of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Father, you, before the creation of the world, had already given Jesus Christ as the sacrifice for us. You knew that mankind, once you created him, would, would, would rebel against your word would challenge your word. And Father, you had already, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, you already made a way for your people to be rescued from sin, to be redeemed back to Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we study your scripture, and regardless of what, whether it be the Old Testament or the New Testament, it's always about how you either would be pictured in the future or looking back, we see what your son Jesus Christ did for us. The Old Testament pointed forward to the cross through the sacrificial system, through the way the word of God was preserved, the way it was handed down through generation to generation. The prophets and the priests that that were so aptly speaking the word and meticulously recording the word through the ages. And then Father, in the New Testament, after you've been revealed, we look back and we see how, how you provided that perfect lamb of God, that sacrifice that fulfilled the sacrificial system. You've given the perfect Lamb of God who could take away the sin of the world. And God, we see that you are a God who desires to be known. You, want, you revealed yourself through Jesus Christ and you gave us access to you today that we can come boldly before the throne of grace and share the petitions and the cares that are on our heart with a Father who actually cares for us because you loved us before we first loved you. So, Father, I pray today that we would open our eyes to the the need of the Word of God in our lives on a daily basis. I pray, Father, we would lead others to the Word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And that, Father, your Word is powerful. Your Word is what created the world. And you, you breathe into us the breath of life and you can make us a new creation through Jesus Christ as your Word promises to do. So, Father, give us the faith to live it. Give us the boldness to teach it and share it with those who need to hear around us. And Lord, may you be glorified in what's said and done this week. In your name we pray, all God's people said.